and welcome to episode 65 of Just Keep Writing. A podcast for writers. Bye, writers. To keep you writing. I'm Marshall. I nailed my line. I'm Brent. <laughs> and I'm Will. Hey, right, gentlemen, we are here for our third and we'll and to be fair, Will, I know you were going to you were giving Nick some, you know, a little flack before the mics came on. But, you know, Nick did nail his line. So I'm, I'm real proud of him. And, and I, this is whoa, exciting. whoa, whoa. It is Marshall before every recording. You guys know your lines. I, if I don't say it, that's the teacher in me. I'm sorry. Anyway. All right, boys. So this is our third episode for Pride Month. This is going to be a little bit different because Nick and myself, we're going to fade away here in a moment and turn it over to Will and Brent to have a discussion that I have no idea what it's going to be about, but I'm just an audio engineer at this point. So uh, I don't know if we have anything else to say besides check out our other two Pride episodes from this month. Um, We had an interview with my wife last episode um, talking about trans kids. And uh, the first episode was our, I I would like to say it's our Pride episode. redux or whatever you want to say kind of thing where like we revisited some of the topics from episode 37 so definitely check those episodes out but man i'm gonna turn it over to will it's time i'm gonna fade away i'm gonna turn my camera off and everything and pretend i'm just capturing audio and and see what you guys cook up so uh all right you're up boys all right so brent how are you feeling oh i am very interested in how this is gonna go because i feel like i feel like I feel like uh, you like to um, interrogate, but not in a bad way, but just in a way that's like, I don't know, like you like to get at the core of things very quickly. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, boy. So with that being said, I'm going to let you go first and ask the first question. All right. So first question. Okay. So we're talking about Pride Month. So, um, you know, I, I know Pride is something that it's, kind of it is a celebration right but it's also a moment of resistance and in what ways do you feel like you currently are still resisting some of the some of the expectations that uh, a cis hetero society places on you well i mean that's a really interesting question because in what in what concept so do you mean? I guess I would say in terms of you know what let's 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 start with your career. Yeah, let's start with the career. Like in your career, like what ways do you feel like you're still having to resist um like society, well cis like a cis hetero society's expectations of who you are and where you should be in your career. Well, I mean, I think you know that's an interesting question cuz I do hair and makeup and I do it both being in the salon in New York and LA, but also I do a lot of production and celebrity work. So I think the way that I resist, I think, and I've said this on episode 63, I think, um, there is an expectation that I should be constantly fashionista, constantly um, only thinking of the outer when I really think of the inner more and I think you can be both artistic um, and driven and smart. And I think a lot of times people wanted to 
put me in a box and it still happens to this day. I actually had a conversation with someone um, that wants to dumb down my intelligence. And that is infuriating. Yeah. And you know what? It's, it's, I know you kind of talked about in last episode. So like, because they assume that, you know, you present more um, effeminate that they do things like that. And to me, it's so interesting because it seems like it's almost tied in hand in hand with this idea of, okay, if it's effeminate, it's femininity and femininity, women, women are lesser than, and it just all like goes back into like how, like, you know, the women are considered lesser. So if you are displaying traits that they consider to be associated with women in any way, shape or form, you're lesser than automatically. Which, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that, but I was just me commenting on what you said. Like, it just seems like that's that's the that's the little connected dots that they make in their head when they make those assumptions about you. And I also want to add this into it. I actually get it more from other gay men than I get it from cisgendered men. Absolutely. Yeah. Which always astounds me uh, because we should be the one part of the community that embraces everyone. And I think our community can be very fractured because it is the hierarchy is still cisgendered white males. And that culture is like top, like it goes from the top down. And so in our community, I feel like it is very consistent with that type of thought. Right. No, um, I think I'm going to misquote him, but James Baldwin says something along the lines of that, that white, cis white gay men are, they're not looking for liberation for everybody. They're just trying to find a way back to being white again. They just want to be back to, they just want to be on the same level of privilege as a straight white male again. Liberation for the rest of us isn't a concern for them. Uh, 100%. I think when you uh, go on apps or dating sites and you people, you hear people say, um, no blacks, no Asians, um, no femmes, yeah. all these no's, okay, and they want what is the paradigm culture of what, you know, Western society, cisgendered white men um, epitomize as the ultimate object. So this is my question for you. What have you internalized, maybe to an unhealthy degree, from cisgendered black men? Oh, God, there's so much. Um, One, which, you know, I'm still, still working on. And I think it'll be, honestly, I don't think it'll be something I'll ever be completely free of. It's just that the hooks are that deep. But um, expressing myself, showing emotion, showing, um, showing vulnerability. And I mean, I've gotten better at it for sure. I'm nowhere near as like clammed up as I used to be. But there's so and there's a reason for it, right? Like, I think, especially with black men, a lot of it is built on protecting yourself from a world that is literally trying to kill you. Like, is literally trying to do everything in its power to kill you. So that's definitely one thing I've internalized. And and like I say, it's it's a it's never um 
I don't think it's ever something you completely let go of. It's something you have to forever work at. Like there's some days where I'm really good at it and I can be totally vulnerable and totally express myself and wear my heart on my sleeve. And there's other times where it's like, it's like pulling teeth to even get me to admit what's really bothering me. And um, I guess that's another thing that's adjacent to it is like not even admitting a problem there in the first place. A lot of black men are, we're very bad about that. Like we, we will literally be on fire and walking around. Talking, oh, I'm okay. I'm good. Don't worry about me. And I think that, that too is also another form of like trying to protect yourself from, a, you know, society, a society that doesn't even, that doesn't even think you're a person. So yeah, that's also something I've had to work on just being able to tell people like, no, I'm not okay right now. Like, no, uh, that things are falling apart or, you know, I'm not in a good place. Um, like I said, all in the same boat, just something that is a is an everyday unlearning process. And I don't think I think it'll be a lifelong thing. I think unfortunately, I think some some traumas and some things that you learn are just um they become a they become a scar. They don't go away. So it's like something you have to c- continuously work at. And I'm trying to think of this. I know there's more. I mean, <laughs> there's, there's there's so much more. Uh, let's see. Um, I mean, I, I think throughout our conversation, I, for my questions, I am going to constantly touch upon intersectionality because you said it. You've said this multiple times, and even in private, like there, you are not just a black man or just a gay man. You know, you can't be because you're a whole person, right. and all of those. Um, backgrounds are intersecting. Right, right. Right. And it's so important that we actually have a discussion about that because so many people within our community, I feel, and this is just my opinion, try to differentiate mm-hmm. instead of actually merging. Yeah. And really thinking as a whole person. I think as people of a gay person, um, we're almost lowest on the totem pole, right? And then you get down to like, you know, black gay men, then trans black women, right? you know, um, which are like the lowest of sar- as far as like, you know, social standing, right? right. Um, so I think throughout our conversations, I'm going to constantly interconnect, you know, worlds because that is your experience. And I think it's going to be a lot of experience for a lot of people. And, if you are someone who is a cisgendered white male or a cisgendered gay male who is masculine, I hope that when you listen to our conversation, it comes back to humanity and that stop trying to check people into boxes. Right. Because we are, people contain multitudes. Right. We are multitudes. And I think uh, it's so interesting question- you said that about um about you know people who identify as masks or you know whatever. Um, I'll say this. I mean, obviously, I I think I present more that way. But at first, I used to kind of, I used to kind of bristle at the label a little bit though because I'm like, well, you don't know all of me. You don't know every aspect of me. You don't know like what. And and I hated it because it was like you're not saying it as just like a descriptor. You're saying it as like a, as like adding a star to my Yelp review or something. And it's like, that's frustrating. I'm like, no, don't do that. Like I have plenty of friends who are femme and they are some of the most awesome men and they are some of the most awesome partners. And, you know, they are, 
they are some of the most genuine people I know. So I just, yeah, I agree with you 100%, I guess, in terms of like the people who are listening and what they should take from this. Like, understand that all of us are human and we all come with humanity. So. The next question is yours. All right. Next question is mine. So um, I know you mentioned like stuff about the the gay community being fractured and, um, you know, how we have some of these issues that seem to rear their heads more amongst us than from cisgender people. So um, to, I guess my question to you is, is like, what would you tell someone who is struggling with internalized homophobia and those and those various issues like where would you tell them to start unpacking those things and like how to try to i guess see the larger community see us as a whole community instead of these boxes so i think there's two different ways i can go about this i can say if i'm saying it to someone who's heterosexual or am i talking about someone who is homosexual i would say let's talk to our people so we'll say homosexual yeah. I would say, and I think again, I'm going to ask another question. Are we clarifying it as someone who is struggling to accept themselves or someone who has come out as gay, but still retains this homophobia with the way they treat others in our community? I want to say the latter because I feel like the former, we probably already have the language for it to sort of help those people, but I don't think we talk enough about the latter. I would say this. For people who are in our community who are out, but still um, say things like, uh, "No, I'm flat out saying it, like no Asians, no Blacks, no Femmes, or they love drag queens, but I don't want to date one. I don't want my boy to wear nails or nail polish. I would say this, what are you afraid of? And also, do you have a place in your life that is home? And when I talk about home, I think for people who are in the queer community, we are constantly looking for home. We are constantly looking for a place where we feel loved and appreciated and uplifted. Because for most of us, we didn't have that at home. Right? Some of the it's fascinating to me because it's like it's like I see this in our community of 50-50. The people that I know were whose parents were really supportive are confident and and driven and then the flip side of that is very exclusionary very uh they stick to their quote unquote own right and I see this with a lot of quote unquote educated white gay men Mm-hmm. Where they come from families that were really accepting. Um, they have this um, language of liberalness. But at the same time, they're like, well, I don't go into the, and I'm using quotations, gay scene. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm not about that gay life. You know, I <sighs> have my husband and we're going to have kids. And which, let me say this. Those are all dreams that I've had, and I hope other people have. But also, I think we need to be open of saying that as long as things are healthy and uplifting, there are multiple forms of marriage, 
of being partners and also of gay life, right? I think a lot of times we think of the gay scene as just constantly clubbing or anything. But on the flip side and a darker side, I've seen the gay scene for educated men. The people who are supposed to be the smartest also be the most blinded by ignorance and not accepting. So I don't know if that's like answering your question. No, it does. I think um, what you're basically saying is challenge your um, challenge your assumptions about people and be willing to accept that those assumptions may have been based in, in something that's completely wrong and be open to meeting people where they are. And, you know, it's, it's something I definitely had to deal with, too, in terms of like, you know, black hyper masculinity and and. And it even happened to me, like in this trip I just came from with Puerto Rico, right? Like, and they mean and they mean it as a compliment, but at the same time, it makes me great on the inside. So, a lot of the guys were like, "Oh, I would have never thought you were gay. Oh, I had no idea you were gay. Like, oh, you don't look it." And I'm like, well, "What does it look like? What do you mean? Like, what 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 are you saying?" And it's, yeah, it's frustrating um, because it's like you know. I know what you're saying without saying it. You're saying I'm the yeah. right kind of gay. That's what you're saying. And that's frustrating to me because it's like, well, I don't want, you can keep that. Like, I don't want that. And um, yeah. Do you know what's interesting too is hearing you say that because truly, honestly, I view you so different because I'm like, you're a big queen. So I think that's hilarious to me. Right. No, I, and in my head, I'm like, what do you mean? Like, how, exactly. what, 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 what? <laughs> right. And, I, and I'm always like that because I'm like, you don't know me then, obviously, because anyone who knows me for long enough knows I'm very gay. Like, there's not a. Yeah. So I'm just like, do I have to walk into the room spinning glitter out of my head before you see it? Like, I'm like. And, 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 you know, a part of this, too, is um, I also think it goes back to the body images that we project onto certain kinds of gay men. So they see a little muscle on me and assume, oh, OK, it's like it's, it's such I don't know. It's such a it's such a weird backhanded supposed compliment. And I'm, I'm always like, I don't want it. I don't need it. I don't that, that you don't need to give me that weird straight validation of that. I'm the right kind of gay for you or whatever. And so. Yeah, it's so frustrating. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of a lot of gay men, of uh, especially a lot of mass presenting gay men, they like latch onto that validation, and they really, really crave it. And it's and it's mm-hmm. weird. So my question is going back to something you said on episode sixty three about Victoria Schwab. Yeah, which you weren't downing her at all, but you made a comment of saying that I. I'm going to, this is a question, but I'm going to comment first because I'm going to okay. challenge you. Okay. And it might make you want to punch me in the face. Okay. I'm just letting you know. You commented that, you know, it makes you upset that you see these um, cisgendered white women, or maybe you said cisgendered women, but we'll say white women because the two authors we were talking about were white. Um, right, right. Are, are using all these glances and these, you know, like they were just, they were desexualizing gay men and making it so fluffy. Okay. Um, that's like paraphrasing what you said. Yeah. Yeah. That's close enough. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to challenge you in this way. I don't think they were, I think personally what they were doing is 
you know, Brent, like, come on, like we grew up thinking that gay men were just constantly sleeping with other people, constantly partying, constantly doing all these things. And we saw no actual love. You know, pretty much we saw in the media that gay men were dying of AIDS, right? And it was even worse for black men, right, of how they were portrayed, that they were not stable, that, you know, there was no type of foundation of loving, you know, in the media. So to me, when I saw those representations, okay, I saw it being a positive, you know. Now, within that mind, and I said that to you on the thing that we should actually be more angry with the publishers, because I don't want to ever discourage people from writing that if they are cisgendered white women. What I think we need to do is say to those publishers, how many um, queer people have you published writing the same thing? And, you know, and then going down the line, okay, how many black queer people have you said? So we have multitudes of different representations. So I want you to comment on that. Like with what I just said, you know, like I feel like they were trying to say, and their own experiences, because Victoria's actually talked about this on a couple of the podcasts, that most of the relationships that were the most stable and loving were the gay people in her life. So I guess what I would say to that is that it, it the media definitely portrays, portrays, definitely portrays that. But for a, a lot of us too, like that, that was our reality. And I don't necessarily think it's, I think what I guess my issue with it is is that there seems to be, it it seems to be almost it feels like a filtered version of of gayness. It feels like uh at least from when I read it, I just remember something about it felt like very I'm trying to think of the right word. Felt very just like it felt fetishizing almost, I guess is the best word I can think of. It felt like it was almost like, oh, these little cute little gay men, let me get these little toys together and make them a little kissy kissy. And it was just kind of like, okay, I guess. Like, I mean, these, because I think sometimes too, uh, and I think this is also a kind of internalized thing that I see amongst like gay men is that, we're always worried about what straight people think of us and what straight people can think of our lifestyles and like, Oh, well you shouldn't be such a whore. Cause you know, that's why they don't, that's why they don't respect us. Oh, don't have your ass out at pride because that's why they don't respect us. And it's like, well, I don't give a shit what they respect about us or not. Like, and, and it almost feels like in some ways when I see these really almost feels like watered down gay relationships in science fiction and fantasy, it feels like to me, at least they're playing into that whole, Oh, well, let me feed the straight audience this very, like, almost cis-het presenting relationship that makes it easier for you to, to digest these gay men. And it's frustrating to me. It's like, you should be able to accept the gay character as a as a viable, great character who's out there fucking every weekend. Like, that should be, you should be able to accept that as a straight person. Like, I shouldn't have to create a gay character that matches your cis-het romantic standards in order to have those characters be seen as lovable and beloved characters. Cause like it, 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 it upsets me in a way when you see like someone like an Alucard who is, you know, 
who are Alucard and Rai, who are like just huge like fandom squeed couple or whatever. But you don't ever like see that for you don't ever see that for like a, a gay character who has a promiscuous sexual life. So I think that that to me, so it's not just it's not just the the cisgender white women and what they're writing. It's also the audience that I feel like they're feeding into and and that the check marks they're making with those audiences. Because I see it, I see so many in the comments, so many of these little like young white girls with the hard eyes. Oh, I love Alicard and Ryan. And it was like, yeah, but you probably bully the gay guy at your school. So it's like, you know, I just I, I get I guess it's it's not just the author. It's it's the whole ecosystem that I get frustrated with on that front. Okay. So I'm gonna did that make you want to punch me in the face? No, no, it didn't. I, I mean, I like I said, I like that you like getting to the core of things. No, it didn't it didn't it actually no, it was a good question because it forced me to kind of sit back and think about what really irks me about the whole thing. Yeah, listen, I think we do need to see all spectrums of the thing because I I'm a I feel I'm a very sex positive person, right? Like I feel like, yeah, as long as you're not hurting anyone, you're not hurting yourself. But I want to talk about a minute about promiscuity, okay? And when people are going out and, you know, just having fun, and I've definitely had my fun um, and doing all that. And in characterization, do you feel that you can, I want to phrase this right. Let me give you an example. We have, I don't I don't know if you've read Cameron Hurley's um, God's War books. I read had, the first one. Okay, so okay. we had Nyx. Nyx is like this badass woman who like, you know, fucks whoever she wants. And she's like straight up a badass, okay? Um, but also, and you know, Cameron actually writes in um, The Stars Are Legion, very messy gay relationships, you know, and complex. And you're like, it makes you think, you know, and I think that's also super important because again, we're the spectrum. It's not just going to be like, we fall in love and we're with this someone or on the flip side that we're sleeping around with everyone else, you know, but the idea of promiscuity, um, and I guess this is in the larger context frame of human culture, but how it's magnified in gay culture. Do you think that when you are constantly being promiscuous that you are trying to validate yourself, validate you being attractive, validate that you have a um, a place, and also trying to find a home. Yes and no. Um, Give me. I would think. I think that applies for some people, and I don't think it applies for others. I think some people just like to have sex, and I think, and I think, especially, and the one thing I do love about the gay community like amongst gay men is that many of us don't get held down by western christian perspectives on sex and what sex purpose is like for for some of us and sex is recreational it's just having a good time it's not it's not it's not about you know anything deeper than just having fun with some with another person now i do think for others yeah there's definitely i think for others there's definitely some some trauma and issues laid into it in terms of like validation and trying to trying to um you know find a home and whatnot there's definitely that but i think you see that more in the ones that 
I think you often see the internalized homophobia and that go hand in hand usually. But I I, I know plenty I, I know plenty of guys who just they just enjoy sex. It's not even like a it's not it's not necessarily tied into anything deeper. And I think, you know, and I think that baffles a lot of people. A lot of people just don't get that. And I think part of that is because, you know, the Christian Western society has pushed this idea that sex and romance are tied together at all times and they can never, ever be separate from each other. And and so, you know, so therefore someone who who is able to uncouple those things, oh, something must be wrong with them. When no, they may, they're probably a perfectly adjusted adult. They just don't subscribe to that societal standard. So it's interesting to hear you say that because I both agree and disagree. And I'm going to use a conversation that we had off the podcast, but nothing that's, I mean, it's more private for me, probably. It was me saying that when I'm with someone, like it is just me. And your response was automatically, well, that's very Western and Christian of you. And I, um, and I said, actually, I don't prescribe to any of that. You know, I lived in India and studied, like I practiced Buddhism. Like I don't, I don't have that frame of comf- uh, frame of reference any longer, and I haven't since I was a kid because I all thought it was junk, basically, right? Like I just, it didn't fit my frame set. For me, it was about, it wasn't about so much about this idea of marriage, right? It was this idea of me being so in love with someone. As, and I enjoy sex, and I love it. But the fact that I was with someone that made me feel so supportive and whole in a lot of ways, that it just was never a thing for me to look out of that relationship or to include someone in that relationship, you know? So I think, you know, um, it can come from different avenues. I don't think it always has to be a ingrained uh, Western Christian thought, right? And I don't think that that doesn't make me less gay or more gay. But I want to talk about for you, you have said that a couple different times. So I want to know about how religion really formed your worldview and why you I don't want to say push against it, but why that's an automatic thing when someone thinks of um, monogamy, that it's automatically a Christian Western value. Why do you automatically say that? Well, I think here in the West, we kind of can't escape it. Like, I mean, it's it's the dominant factor. It's with what it was at the root of colonialism. It was at the root of genocide. It was at the root of slavery. It was at the root of... Any, any anything that negative that has occurred in this society, you can almost always dig deep enough and find Christianity in there somewhere. And I'm, you know, and I'm sure it's probably irking some of the Christian listeners out there, but so be it. Um, and I mean, especially, I mean, even 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 today, till this day, we literally have a section of the American electoral uh, electoral public, whatever you want to call it, that bases their voting and their policies on the idea that Jesus is going to come back one day. Yeah. And so I don't think it is a black hole, especially here in, in I think, in the West that 
it's a black hole sucking in so much that you just can't escape its influence on everything. And for me personally, I mean, it was the foundation of just about everything. Everything that went wrong in my childhood is what I can assign to Christianity. Like, okay. And yeah. So so okay. so for me, of course, it's personal, but also too when you look at the, I think when you look at the wider history and the wider influences, and I think that's why I so much more believe it is because it started off personal and it was digging into it more and more and realizing like, oh God, like this this is the this is the the monster in the room that no one wants to challenge and no one wants to really push back against. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, your next question is yours. All right. So next question. All right. Um, <clears throat> I got to think of a good one here. Okay. So just so we bring it back to like writing at some point here. So in terms of, in terms of storytelling and what you have seen from queer authors so far, what areas do you think that specifically science fiction and fantasy, we'll keep it here, specifically science fiction and fantasy, what areas of queer culture do you think have yet to be properly represented or need to be more represented in the industry? Oh, I mean like every aspect of queer culture. I don't, I think honestly, if I wrote about two queer couples in love that were monogamous and that were together forever. And like, they had this like great marriage. I could write 40 books and it still wouldn't be enough. Right. That's so true. Yeah. Right. Like it's just wouldn't, right. It still wouldn't be enough. Yeah. What It'd be a drop I, in the bucket. What I want to do is I want to write queer characters. And I hope I see queer characters that embody everything within society. I want to see people who are monogamous together and ridiculously happy. I want to see messy, complex, sometimes damaging relationships where they literally are not right for each other, right? I want to see um, relationships that blossom and burn. I want to see relationships that burn, blossom, burn, and blossom again, right? I want to be able to see like queer characters that have evolution, that they evolve, that we tell more complex societal stories through the lens of queer people. And I think, you know, you've said this in other episodes, is that when you take the most marginalized people, right, and they are telling stories, you're getting the most beautiful narratives and sometimes the most beautiful writing, right? And that's what my hope is, is that we get to tell more stories that are richly diverse, more stories that are very specific to that author's experience, because the more specific they are, okay, the more actually universal it becomes, right? And that through those narratives, that it builds empathy, and it also shows people's range of humanity. That's, that's, yeah, that's perfect. That's a great answer. It's the, I mean that that you're absolutely right. Like there, we could we both could be writing a book a week, and it would never be enough at this point. But one hundred percent. So my next question for you: How has your writing connected you to your experience 
as a gay man. And I, when I say as a gay man, I mean like as a gay black man, as a gay black man from the South, as a gay black man who was a military child, as a gay black man who moved from Atlanta all the way to San Diego. Like I'm yeah. talking about all of those experiences. Um, how does how does your writing? Oh man. Um, so I guess when I first started writing, gayness was a subject I would not touch. Um, I wouldn't touch it explicitly i would touch it in the outer edges so it's why i love the x-men so much right it was the x-men that like when i started off as a kid i used to write stories about superheroes and people with powers because they were different and they got to be loved and you know and 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 for me that was like okay well if this guy pops claws out of his damn hands then maybe that's hope for me too at some point and um so I think that's that's how I first explored it. When I was writing, I would write stories about these weird, fantastical, crazy characters because they were different and they got to experience everything still and still be loved. So I think I was trying to write my own hopeful path through these um through these weird, fantastic things. And then um I got into college and I wasn't out yet, but I was I had people who, some people who knew. So there was a part of me that was relaxing a little more. And I was also, you know, having my first boyfriends, exploring and so on and so forth. And um, I remember I wrote a manuscript and uh, I had a friend read it. And my friend came up to me afterwards and he was like, does everybody know you're gay? And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, because they'll know it after they read this. And I was like, I didn't realize that like, even as much as I tried to suppress myself, myself still came out on the page. And I think that's when I really owned it. I was like, you know what? If it's going to come out any damn way, I'm just going to write it. So um, after college, you know, I started I started slowly trying to like peck at my sexuality a little more in my writing and whatnot. And, um, and it was the same thing with my blackness too, I think, in a lot of ways because you didn't really see gay gay characters explicitly in fantasy and science fiction like that. And you also didn't really see like blackness explored in, you know, in the ways that you're starting to see it explored now, I think in science fiction and fantasy at that time, at least not in easy ways to find. So that, so yeah, so that was kind of like my college years and whatnot. And then um, when I made that move from San Diego, well, from, from Georgia to San Diego, Oh my God, that was such a, um, it was such a freeing experience in terms of my writing because I didn't know anybody. Nobody knew me. I could write exactly however I wanted to be and I didn't have to worry about anybody, anybody's feelings being hurt or anybody like me trying to protect anybody's reputation or whatever, so on and so forth. Like I could just literally write what I wanted to write. And, um, and I don't think it's any, I don't think it's a coincidence that where I am now started to take off because well started to take off when I first moved to San Diego. I think there's a direct correlation between where I'm at now and whatever kind of publishing career you want to call it to when I first moved to San Diego. So yeah, I think there's just something freeing and, and breaking away from everybody. And, you know, people always tell me like, Oh, you were so brave to move to San Diego and blah, blah, blah. You didn't know anybody. And I always respond back. I was like, I wasn't brave. I was desperate. Like, it was a difference. Like, I, I, I just, 
I needed to find freedom somewhere. And I think moving out here, I finally found that freedom in my writing too. So I don't know if that answers the question, but it does. It answers yeah. my question. Do you want me to ask another question? Cause I can go for I mean, two and then you ask. Yeah. Two. Yeah. Yeah. You can go for two. I'm, I'm down for two. I want to talk about, um, we can edit this out too. Okay. No, no, no. Let's, let's go for it. Um, we talked, we've talked privately about when romance and being in love is like this thing that's almost like you feel like it's a hurdle, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I want to talk about that because I think okay. our, our journeys are similar and I think they're really radically different. And personally, my has been, I realized that my journey has been very unique, not just within the gay community, but like even with straight people. Okay. Cause I was with my boyfriend so young and in love. Yeah. Um, and that honestly just doesn't happen a lot, but do you think because you haven't been vulnerable or you're, you're feeling like romance is this like last hurdle that you're not inclined to love reading or maybe love writing, um, just a sweet romance between two gay men, two black gay men. Okay. Because I know we've talked a lot about like, you love messy characters and I think that's wonderful, but a part of me kind of feels Brent that because this is a hurdle and it's cause it's something that, and I will call bullshit that you really want and that you really like, you know, like, I don't care what you say. Like I can just see it in your actions. Okay. That is that why you can't write just something that, or that you don't want to read something that is just lovey dovey sweet and just quote unquote wholesome. So I think yes and no. Um, yeah, like so I'll lean into the part that's the yes because I think that's the that's the interesting part, that's the meaty part, right? Um so yeah, so romance and I I, I don't think I'm unique in this. Unfortunately, it's unfortunate that I'm not unique in this, but for a lot of black gay men, um for multiple reasons, love mm-hmm. just isn't something that a lot of us think about because, and again, I've, I'm going to say this and, and I know a lot of black men are gonna, can probably attest to this too, black gay men. Um, I didn't think I was going to be here past 30. Like that was, that was sort of like being like a teenager. I checked, I was like, yeah, I'm going to check out by probably 30, 31. So for a lot of us, that was like the that was that's the age range we were thinking of, and so in that time frame, you're not thinking about like being with somebody forever or finding some finding your person who you're just going to love forever, right? Because for many of us, for multiple reasons, we all assumed that we were going to be dead at a very young age, and yeah, I was. I remember actually, um, I turned. 31 32 i think it was 31 when i turned 31 i just like ball crying because i did not think that i would be here past 30 so that was um so yeah i think that plays into it and i remember my ex actually my ex who actually was in love with him we we were very much in love 
and I remember his um his 30th birthday. I remember he he like he did the same thing. He cried. He cried so hard and he was just like I thought I'd be dead. Like he was like I did not think that I would be here. So I think for for many of us that just the idea of living past a certain age is a monument in and of itself, let alone living past that age with somebody else, with love and with, you know, with romance or whatever. And I think also too, and this is why I love the show Pose, because I think Pose really does a good job of this, is that a lot of us lean into our friends and our families and our found families because we don't see ourselves living past a certain age, right? So that was definitely part of it. Um and the part, another part of it is that the last time I was in love, God Almighty, that thing was a. Uh, you talking talk about messy? <laughs> I can probably we could spend a whole podcast episode talking about how messy that relationship was, but it was also um, it was really fraught, right? And um, it was just really. I mean, I still have love. To, I still have love for him to this day, and uh, you know, but I know we weren't meant to be together. Uh, that that was. That that to me, and it, that to me, I'm 100 percent sure of. But um, I think after that experience too, it took a long time for me to actually. And I don't. And again, this is one of those things where I don't think things ever like 100 percent heal. I think people have to kind of like let go of this idea that like the the hard time the bad heals, that you go through. Yeah, yeah like time heals all. It does not. I think that's a oh, fucking it, lie. Exactly. And also, too, I saw this one thing about grief, which I thought was really interesting one time. The person was like, you wouldn't tell someone to get over a happy memory that, oh, it's been five years since that great thing happened to you. Why are you still talking about it? Let it go. But for some reason, when it comes to hard, tragic things, we want to tell people, oh, put a timestamp on it and you got to let it go. And it's like, well, no, it's 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 it becomes a part of you. It's not something you ever can let go of. So. I think um so I think that that definitely has played into it and also too it's definitely I would say it's definitely a mold of self protection because if you if you say you don't want it or if you try to convince yourself that you don't want it and then you don't get it it's like oh well, I didn't want it anyway you know so um that's the yes part of your question now the no part of it is like Nah, I mean, I still kind of want, you know, like a full breadth of things from a completely objective standpoint. But I think the yes part was the more interesting part of your question, which is what you wanted to get to. But, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, God, I hope I'm not being a Debbie Downer team by listening. But it's just the um, for a lot of of, for a lot of black gay men, we just we did not we did not. And many of us still do not expect to live very long. So there's not a lot of time to think about these great romantic sagas and and falling in love and finding your forever person because for many of us it's just a, it's just the idea of like how do I get through the next day, you know? And for me and maybe this would be similar for other people too. I mean, from a stretch of time to about I'd say from about maybe 11 to about 18, 19 maybe three out of four days out of the week, I was like begging God to just not let me wake up the next morning. Like, I was like, please, because good old Christian, uh, you know, good old Catholic, you can't commit suicide. So I just was too terrified of that. But I would go to bed at night and be like, please just don't let me wake up the next morning. Like, spare everybody the trouble. So, um, yeah. So, you know, I think 
for a lot of us, there's just so much, so much bullshit that we have to work through before we can even get to the idea, the idea of love. So, um, yeah, I think, yeah. So yes and no, but the yes part is definitely a big part of it, I guess. Okay. So it's your turn to ask questions. Okay. So, um, okay. So I know you mentioned your, um, your own kind of romantic, romantic journey being like unique from a lot of people in general, but, um, what lessons from it would you want other gay people to kind of know and like take heart in? Cause I think there's a lot in your story to really draw hope from. So. Oh, thanks. Yeah. <sighs> That you can be profoundly loved, profoundly, because it's easy to love someone for their good parts. It's hard to love someone for their failures and for their shortcomings. And when you profoundly are loved, it literally levels the playing field. And I hope people who are questioning, and let me say this, I am intense person. Like I do like to just get to the core of things. I really like to just like, let's get deep right away. Okay. Like that's just how I roll. And I think a lot of it is because I saw a lot of wasted time in myself being scared, being scared to be loved being scared to have peace because a lot of times when, when um, in our community, when they find people who are grounding because they've never had some type of grounding, loving force, they go batshit crazy. They don't know how to accept that love and say that this person really loves you. They think that person's going to leave them. That person is going to just, you know, or they're going to mess up. They're going to do something. And so they feed into that. Um, I also think it taught me, and I hope other people can take this from them. To really love without reservation. That is the one regret that I have that I just didn't let myself be loved sooner. I kept putting up a wall and I even think now I put up walls. I don't think I'm the easiest person to get to know. I think I definitely can come off standoffish specifically towards men, gay or straight. Um, and also I think I am, and I will say this, I think I'm a very strong personality. I don't um, back down from anyone. I'm not afraid of anyone. And I think that is also a foundation of being profoundly loved. Yeah. All right. So I get two in a row, I guess. Um, yeah. Ah, that's such a good answer. Um, I hope people are really listening. Um, okay. So, uh, shoot. I'm almost like I'm like just struck by your answer. <laughs> ah, such a good answer. Um, okay, so that's probably that's probably you know 
what would you say to somebody who who doesn't think that love is something that they can find? Like as a gay person, why? Like, what would you tell someone who doesn't think that that's attainable? I would say, what do you love about yourself? What and what is true, right? Like, what is something that you love? Say you love puppies, you love dogs, you just love them. Because the thing that I've learned through not just my relationship, but I also feel like this way about being an uncle, right? I really feel this way about my nieces and nephews. I just love them. I have this boundless, limitless depth of love. And when you can connect to that, love is just always there, just like peace. That's what makes love and peace really profound. Now, whether you believe in the stories of Jesus or not, what really was profound about him, okay, and those stories is he had this limitless depth of love, and it frightened people, frightened them. And we see that in people uh, where society becomes frightened of them when they are enacting in ways for those less fortunate, right? So instead of trying to react from being afraid of love, which I get it, I'm also too, even at this stage, what if it doesn't happen again? Who is going to love me? What is that going to be like? But I constantly have to remind me that if I have this bottomless, deep love for my partners and my nieces and nephews, then it is just there. And you have to be open to it. And I find a lot of times within our community, we can be very tribal. We mimic the things that we don't like about heterosexuals. Right. And what I would say to them is start opening your eyes up to the people who are loving, who are really loving, and grab onto them. Because those people are going to lead you to your higher self, and you will find love. Because you are being connected to those people who hear and uh, have that sense of profound peace and love, which can sound hippy-dippy, but it's actually radical in a lot of ways. No, it's so radical. I think knowing, uh, yeah, that, and I think, you know, that's, speaking again, as like, you know, just from my experiences being Black and gay and the Black gay men I kind of came up with in my 20s, um, yeah, a lot of us did not, we not only did we like, we knew how to love, we did not know how to accept it. And I think for many of us, it was like, we did it out of protection, right? Like we did it because we we all had those moments where we were totally open and totally vulnerable with somebody and they completely crushed us. And and for many of us, it was like never again. And 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 unfortunately, it caused us more harm than harm than good. Um, you know, I can I can I can't tell you the amount of like amen that, you know. I knew who were thrown out by their parents or who were, you know, who tried to tell them they were being abused and were, you know, rejected for it or who, you know, 
I remember this one story and if it, it forever uh, it still gives me chills just thinking about it. But she was um she was a trans woman and um she died and so when she died, her parents would not bury her as a woman. So they buried her as a man and they wouldn't let any of us come to the funeral. And, you know, for a lot of us, I think we just, we strongly remember that. And, um, yeah, so I think for a lot of us, it's, like, hard to get past those, like, traumatic things that happen and um, learn to accept love. And, yeah, so I just, I always remember that. And I remember when that happened, that was actually um, the moment I decided I was like, oh, hell no. <laughs> Hell no, you will not do that to me. You will, when I leave this earth, I'm going to leave it the exact with people who acknowledge me in the fullness of who I am. And, um, you know, I think it was one of those experiences where it kind of showed me, like, unfortunately, for many of us, we only have each other. And, um, and also, too, that you have to. Like you said, you have to be willing to accept people wherever they're at. And um, you build your life to you build the kind of life that you want to have. And you got to do it in love. And you got you got to love yourself, too. And, you know, I, I people again, just going back to when I moved out here from uh, from Georgia, you know, a lot of people call it brave or whatever. And I was like, I just finally decided to do something for myself. Like I decided, you know, me coming first and um. So I I, I kind of want to give I have a great friend one of my best friends he's uh he's a gay man he lives in uh he lives in San Juan so I just recently visited him and uh God knew I needed him because um I was wavering on the decision about moving to San Diego actually and me and him were having a conversation and he was like he was like no you move you need to he was like this is this is what's meant for you and so um. Of course, I was being a little bit of a jerk when I said this, but I was like, okay, well, if I'm moving, you got to ride with me all the way out there. And without hesitation, he was like, okay. <laughs> he he opted uh, he that car with me a couple of weeks later and rode with me all the way out to California. So I guess just to go back to your point, it's like, this is what you have to, you have to, like you said, love profoundly. And I think it goes across the board for like, not just your romantic relationships, but your friendships, your yourself. You know, um, the things you want to pursue in life, like you have to like love it all. And and it's a for me, it's still in a lot of areas. It's still somewhat a struggle. But but there's been a lot of breakthroughs. Right. And uh, those breakthroughs have been like amazing breakthroughs. And uh, I'm much, much happier at 35 than I ever was at like 25. So I guess I, I'll say that too. And I'll, I guess we, I don't know what we'll do after this, but um, I'll say this too. So if you're out there and you're gay and you're younger and you're wondering like, does this shit ever get any better? I promise you it does. I promise you it gets better. A hundred percent. So now I have two other questions. Then you can ask two, then we'll finish it up. Yeah. One, I want you to make me a promise. Okay. So whatever I ask, you have to promise me. Okay, I have to promise. <laughs> I want us to have a book club. Me and you. 
Okay. And the first book I want you to read is by Julian Winters called How to Be Remy Cameron. Okay. I'm I think I know Julian. I've heard of Julian. Yeah. You probably have. Um, that's number one. Two is how is your storytelling? Well, let me make a comment first. I yeah. want to talk about when you talk about like the thing you said about, you know, growing up, you know, as a black gay man and you didn't see yourself beyond 30. That struck me a lot because that's also how I felt, but in a different way. So I grew up in a really rough neighborhood, primarily black. And that feeling, I saw my friends who were black, gay and straight, also have. And I think a lot of times that also speaks to some people who are poor and not black, right? Right, um, right. Or gay. Right. But then you have all the society things, too, of what society thinks of black men. Right. So, and when we talk about love, you know, the most radical thing that you can do is to love yourself and have dreams that are bigger than anyone else has for you. Right. And just and just surround yourself with people who push you towards your dreams and have, have even bigger dreams for you. So how does your writing fuel you to be profoundly radical and self-accepting? Well, so um I guess for my writing, you know, it 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 I think there's this uh, quote, uh, I think it's Ernest Hemingway, where he was like, you got to bleed on the page or whatever. And I think I finally have gotten to a place where I'm okay with bleeding on the page. And, you know, and I think part of it, too, was um, for the longest time, I've held back on um, presenting certain themes or talking about certain topics, I think, in writing, because I was always worried about protecting other people. And I was always like, uh, well, I don't want people to give my mom shit about this. So I don't want people to give my, you know, brothers and sisters, my brother and sister shit about this. So I always held back. But then, um, well, I had to realize two things. So one, I had to realize is like, they're adults. They can take care of themselves. And and for the most part, they 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 love me and they want me to be happy. So, and the second thing I had to realize is that like, I'm not serving anyone by holding back on who I am and what I've been through and, you know, my experiences like those, I, you don't, you don't, uh, you don't serve people by not being your truest self. And I think creativity, especially storytelling, storytelling is, yes, it's an act of ego in terms of creation, but I also think it's an act of service in terms of like giving people, the ability to see themselves and to work through these things that, um, that, you know, are hard for them or that are, they're struggling with or, you know, whatever. So, yeah. So I, so I think once I kind of started seeing writing from that angle, I was kind of like, okay, I can, I can talk about these things. I can talk about these struggles. And it's interesting. The novella I'm working on now from that's coming out uh, with neon Hemlock next year, I've actually had to do that. I've had to like kind of like wrestle with um in a lot of ways it's almost like me wrestling with my last relationship but also me with 
wrestling with some of my current circumstances as well and like you know what I want for myself and like what do I um what do I see myself having in uh years to come so and it's interesting you actually talk about like lovey-dovey romance um so this isn't necessarily lovey-dovey romance but it is a romance and um you know and they are they are in love with each other and they actually are right for each other so um it's new for me too in that respect so I, I think I am like kind of I am kind of like being honest and bleeding on the page and just like putting my truest self out there and it's scary like it's the it, and I think too though that also goes back to dreaming bigger than anyone else can dream for you it's like that's scary like success is scary because now if let's just say this story does my wildest dream and it takes off well now that's potentially hundreds or thousands of people all getting a glimpse into my uh, emotional history in a way, right? And that's scary because you're putting that out there for for people to consume. And um yeah, so it's it's uh it's it's been a journey, I guess, trying to get to that point. But I think I I think I'm finally reaching it. I mean I won't say and I know I keep kind of reiterating this point. I don't think anything ever just is you go from point A to point B. I think it's always like you can get to point B, kind of bounce back to point A a little bit. You get right in the middle between the points and then you find your way back to point B. So it's like, I feel like it's always a constant tug because like we're human and we're always going to be working on ourselves. So um, yeah, I guess the, does that answer the question a little bit? All right. Yeah. It does. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's your turn. And then I ask okay. the last questions. All right, cool. All right. So, um, I'm trying to think of the best way to word this. So when um so you 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 know you say you have like you know strong personality, which you do, but I love it. Like I absolutely love it. Uh how do you think like um how do you think like your upbringing like kind of like contributed to that? Or was it was it was it something that you had to kind of create for yourself as like a gay man or was it just something that was always there for you? Like you were just naturally like you always had the stronger personality. I think it's a mixture of both. Um, I think I finally embraced it, honestly, in the last five years, because I think I kept having people tell me I was too much. I'm not enough. Um, I don't fit in their boxes. I, you know, um, no one can be into that money, th- different things. Um, jack of all trades. And I just, I'm like, I'm a Renaissance man. I don't know what to tell you. Um, deal with it. Um, a part of me feels like I was always defiant. I, you know, I came out very early in a time that, in a neighborhood that was super rough. But I think martial arts, uh, taking it from when I was a kid, completely influenced that decision because it taught me that I literally can handle anything and anyone who thinks they're bigger than me, better than me, because where you see weakness is really my strength. And I think it has also been developed because I had no choice. Like I literally left for New York after high school and I knew no one. I was never to the city I was coming up here all by myself and everyone, same thing when you were talking about people said you were brave to go to San Diego. Everyone thought I was, you know, brave. 
And the truth of the matter is, is I had no choice. I didn't. I had no choice. I had to. If I stayed home, I would have gotten involved with the wrong people, no matter how loving my relationship was. My relationship, we were young. We weren't going to move in together. Michael had to go to college. Um, I needed to leave. I had no choice. So I had to be bigger. And because people viewed me in a certain way and within the gay community, I needed to make sure that they knew that I was not to be messed with, that I'm not someone that is going to be easily walked over. Because don't confuse kindness and uh, my ability to be quiet as weakness, because it's not. So I think it is both a mixture of me like really kind of being defiant and also that I had no choice. Like I had no choice but to live on my own. I had no home to go back to. My parents right. would not have me back. I had no choice. I had no choice to start working and right away. I didn't have the privilege to, and, the, and the stability and peace to get, just go to college. It was never a dream. I was taught that it would never happen to me. I had to have dreams that are bigger than me in that aspect. No, that's so true. I think, I think a lot of people don't realize that like it's no coincidence that so many of us go to cities. Like it's not like by, it's not by accident. And um, yeah, I think what you're saying speaks to that for many of us. It's just like, it's not a choice. We had to do it. Uh, Okay. Last question. All right. Um, ooh, I, I wanted it to be kind of a fun question. So I'm thinking of a more fun question. Because um, I have you so emotional. Yes, you do. And I'm just, but I mean, I don't. You know what? I, I, I'll talk about that. Then I'll ask the question. You know, I mean, I don't feel bad about um, getting emotional when we do these things. Uh, I mean, some of these memories are rough. I'm not going to lie. Like some of these things, like. I've definitely not thought about for a long time, but, um, but it's part of who I am and it's no point like trying to avoid it. So, yeah. So I don't, I don't necessarily regret it, but, um, yeah. So for everybody out there, (laughs) this, this is like, this is like deep stuff here, but, um, as you can tell, I'm all clogged up now, but, uh, but, all right, so last question, last question. Um, okay, so one day when, well, I guess I don't know. Well, I guess we kind of count, we kind of count as queer elders because I guess because in like gay community, like past thirty year old as hell, apparently. Um, apparently, I don't, I don't I, believe that shit. Me either, me either. So God. yeah, no, I don't believe that shit. But we do have experience, I guess, that like some of the younger ones don't. So, um, if you could just sit down and you could tell like a group of like younger gay men, like the things that they need to do to really enjoy their life and to not let like, not let like society deny them these happy moments. Like, what would you tell them? Oh, that's not a fun question at all, but, <laughs> but it's an important question. I think it, and this sounds hokey again, it's to really be client to be kind and inclusive. Stop it with the tribalness because all that is is a bunch, a history of colonialism, 
racism, and self-hatred. As a gay person, how you can be racist is beyond me, right? It's just, I don't get it. It's that same energy. So if that's you, if you're, if you're one of those, okay, and think you're better than, you're not. It would, it would behoove you to embrace people who are not a part of our community's popular culture. And that means body-wise. That means, you know, interest-wise. Go out of your ordinary circle and start experiencing everyone at their fullness. You will only have richer relationships it will broaden you in a way that you won't understand until you are much, much, much older. And you will be able to look back and be proud of the person that you became. Oh, it's a great way to, there's a great way to wrap that up. Well, I'm going to ask you one. I'm going to ask you one oh, more question, one as more this question. Is, okay. as this is just keep writing. Okay. Brent. What keeps you writing queer stories? Ooh, okay. Uh, for me, uh, what keeps me writing queer stories is that... Oh, here we go again. Um, I don't want another person to ever feel as lonely and isolated as I felt as a kid. So, so I write for that person. Like I write hoping, hoping some way, somehow that like whatever I write might possibly let them know that they're okay. And that, that they have people out there that will love them exactly as they are. So yeah, that would, that would be my answer to that. Do you want me to answer my same question? Yes, yes, you have to. There's no choice now. <laughs> um, I think that we, the most important thing, like what I re- like to write is that we can be our own superheroes and our own villains and we can have adventures and we can have any life that we want. And as long, to me, it's like, I, I want to write stories with queer people because like, it's no big deal as well. You know, that it is just the fabric of the cosmos and we get to be in every facet of it because literally we are in every facet of society. So, yeah, we've, and I, we've I, always I, been here. We've, yeah. And I want, I want kids to grow up to see that. And I want also, you know what, too, not just kids, there's going to be adults who are our age or older that finally yeah. have a story that they can like revel in and be like, God, I didn't have this as a kid. You know, yeah, like this is yeah. exactly what I was looking for. And you don't know, some people might not find out that they're, they're a raving homosexual until they're 60, 70. So I, yeah. think, I think we need to create space and create hope and um, horror sometimes too. You know, like we need to write yeah. some horror stories with the gays. Um, that's it. And um Yeah. Nick and Marshall, you may come back. And if you would like to also wrap up with us. Uh, look, guys, I have nothing to add to the awesome that you guys just accomplished. So I'm just here as the audio engineer at this point. So 
thank you for sharing your stories and thank you for being who you are. And I'm so happy to have you two on this show. Gotta say that. And, and, and will I'm gonna throw out there for the encouragement of, uh, doing this series and having four episodes come out this month, I think it's really important for our listeners and our community. So thank you. Yeah, of course. Nick. Oh, I'm just a teary eyed bitch over here. listening to this whole episode. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> both. <laughs> Shit, guys, what the hell is going on? You and me both over here. Jesus, man. I look, I, I can't, expressed enough the appreciation I have for you two for being vulnerable, putting yourselves out there. Um, you know, and opening up to the world in a sense about you guys' experience. Because you guys, your guys' growing up experience is vastly different. Um, and you're part of the same community. Uh, and so it's, I think it's really important to, you know, share that and show the differences that you guys have had and things like that. And, you know, for our listeners, like these these episodes are for your guys' benefits to help write better queer stories and characters and things like that. So I hope you guys are getting a lot out of it. I know I'm bawling like a baby right now. I got choked up, but because I feel like I'm uh, a little more prepared for what I was going to ask, I think anything <laughs> Brent wrote me, I was like, okay, keep it together, Will. Um, <laughs> you know, I think I, I really hope when people listen to it, Cause yes, we talked about narrative and, and like writing, but I really hope people take away from this of nuanced, right? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. that there's so many different types of gay people that maybe people are listening and they don't have a gay friend yeah. and that there's so many different journeys and it makes them think and it makes them investigate and ask better questions. And, you know, I hope they don't think it's all I hope they don't think it's all like tragedy and because I feel like I, I, I feel like I talked about so many like hard stories. It's like I don't want people to think that like there's definitely there's plenty of happy times in there, too, that I could like harp on about. But like, I just think it is important to like talk about talk about the rough points, because I think sometimes people they they gloss over it like they know it's a thing, but they don't know the, the like like Nick was saying, what was saying the nuances of it. Like they don't yeah. understand like just what the details involved are. Like they just think, oh yeah, they have it hard, but they don't know like what that actually looks like. So, and you know what, too, on that point of you know, I don't think what we talked about was really um, we talked about life. You yeah. know, I think we didn't focus on like queer joy, but for our, for the very point that we exist and that we're here now and we're healthy and happy and creative people that should tell everyone of our happiness period, because existing is resistance and love in action. And this has been Just Keep Writing, a podcast for writers, by writers, to keep you writing. You can find us at justkeepwriting.org. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Feel free to reach out to any of us on our social medias, and please jump in our Just Keep Writing Discord channel. Links to all of that is in the show notes. Lastly, please support our show by going to patreon.com slash justkeepwriting. We offer daily writing prompts, early access to podcast episodes, and much more. Thanks for listening, and just keep writing.